Amen. Um, well, I had a, an English teacher uh, named Miss Crockett uh, when I was in middle school. Miss Crockett did not play around. She did not mess around. She was uh, she was. Uh, a good teacher, but she was pretty firm. And uh, Miss Crockett's who introduced me to The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And so if you wonder where all those references come from, you can thank Miss Crockett for that. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so, but, but when we would when we would be reading out loud in class, and, and you may have had a teacher that said this, but when we would be reading out loud in class and mispronounce a word, um, you know, uh, she would say, she wouldn't say, hey, you said that word wrong, here's how to say it. She would say, you're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Did you ever hear a teacher that would say that? You're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. That reminds me of Brian Regan, one of my favorite comedians, and, and he he's kind of self, does a lot of self-deprecating humor, and he was talking about a lady came up to him after a show once and said, you, pr- you mispronounced every word in that show. He said, that is the epitome of hyperbole, okay? So... <laughs> Some, you know, when we would say that kind of thing, and let's say you're reading something in Ms. Crockett's class, you say epitome of hyperbole, she would say you're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. And when I think about prayer and the way I pray a lot and the way I think probably we pray a lot, it's not so much that the way we pray is wrong, but often when it comes to prayer, we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Often when it comes to prayer, we put emphasis in areas um, that, that maybe is, is, uh, should, should get less emphasis. And maybe we don't put as much emphasis on areas that, that need more. And, and one of the areas in my life I know that occupies a lot of prayer time, and probably in yours, is we put a lot of emphasis on our circumstances. God changed my circumstances. And God cares about our circumstances. He, 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 he cares about this. This is why in the Lord's Prayer, we walked through that over the last few weeks, walking through cultivating healthy soil in prayer. And we saw that God you know, cares about our daily bread needs. He said, He tells us to pray, give us today our daily bread. So your needs matter to God, our circumstances matter to God. But in terms of emphasis, I find that a lot of times I overemphasize the circumstantial stuff and I emphasize maybe some some more important and vital areas of prayer. But today in Ephesians 1, we're going to look at how Paul prays for other people. And I think that's going to give us a clue as to how we can pray for ourselves as well. Um... But I believe that, um, that we're going to cultivate healthy soil in our lives as we faithfully pray for other people. That's part of how God develops healthy soil in us, is as we pray for others. But praying for other people can be tough, right? Um, there's several obstacles to praying for other people. One obstacle is just prayerlessness in general. If I'm not praying, then it's going to be less likely that I'm going to pray for you. If I'm uh, in a place of prayerlessness in my life, it's unlikely that I'm going to pray for you. And so there's this general obstacle of prayerlessness, and, and sometimes prayerlessness is due to spiritual apathy. And the thing about spiritual apathy is I feel apathetic spiritually, so I don't pray, which leads me to feel more apathetic spiritually, so I don't pray, which leads to, you know, it's kind of like the gym I feel lethargic, so I'm not going to the gym. Then I feel lethargic because I didn't go to the gym. Then I feel lethargic, so I don't go to the gym. And it becomes this vicious cycle of apathy. And another, another obstacle of prayer is spiritual warfare. Um, you know, uh, there is a dark, evil being uh, that, that does not want you to pray, that does not want you to communicate with God. And, and Paul's going to talk about spiritual warfare in, in one of the great prayers uh, of, of this book toward, toward, at, the end, at, the end of the, uh, at the end of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. He's going to address this. It's kind of like, have you ever dated someone and you didn't want, uh, you didn't want this other person 
getting your love interest's uh, attention. And so anytime this other person walked into the room, you were just doing anything you could to keep those, you know, their eyes on you. Um, and, and, and that's kind of how Satan works. And I'm not saying you're Satan, but in this example, you would be Satan. Evil, evil wants your heart. Evil wants possession of and the affections of your heart. And evil will do anything it takes to keep you from talking and communing with your father. So there is spiritual warfare going on, and then there's shame. You know, if, when, when we feel like we've dropped the ball, we feel like we've sinned, we feel like we've failed, or maybe it's been a while since we've talked to the Lord, uh, shame can set in, and shame can keep us away from God. And then we feel more ashamed because we haven't been talking to God. And that, again, becomes a vicious cycle. Another obstacle to praying for other people is just selfishness, right? Because, let's face it, um, when, when we pray, a lot of times we're a lot like the country music singer Toby Keith, right? I want to talk about me, I want to talk about I, I want to talk about number one, right? What I think, what I like, what I want, what I see, right? I want to talk about me. And it's like we believe this, uh, we've adopted this idea of scarcity, that maybe God's only going to answer X number of prayers today, so I've got to make sure I focus on me. And, 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 and we tend to focus on ourselves in prayer. And again, you need to pray for your own needs. Nothing wrong with that, but are you putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable? A third obstacle in praying for others is that sometimes we just don't even know how to pray, right? Sometimes it's like we look at a situation and maybe it's with our spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's our one, that person that we're praying for that they would come to know Christ. And sometimes we just feel like we've run out of words and we don't know how to pray. And because of these obstacles, a lot of us give up on prayer. And we make promises to people to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. But those can easily become broken promises. And then we feel ashamed. And then we pray less. In Ephesians 1, we're going to find, a, I believe, a powerful pattern for how we can pray for other people. So that when you don't know how to pray, this is a great pattern that you can, that you can follow and pray for other people. And, and, and it's a great pattern to pray for ourselves as well. And and I think that what we're going to find in Ephesians 1 is, is our big idea for the day, and that's that the most important prayer you can pray for anyone is that they know God. The most important prayer you can pray for someone else, whether that's your spouse, whether that's your child, whether that's your boss, whether that's your pastor, whether that's uh, that kid in your classroom that's driving you crazy, the most important and vital prayer we can pray for others is that they know God. And we cultivate healthy soil in our own lives as we pray for others that they would truly and deeply know God. And so if we, as we dive into Ephesians 1, uh, does anybody remember where Paul was when he wrote the letter to the Ephesians? Uh, this is one of his prison letters. He wrote this from prison, most likely. And so if anybody had an excuse... If anybody had an excuse to talk about circumstances and to focus on circumstances, Paul had that excuse. He could have said, man, pray that, you know, that I get a better jailer and pray that the food here gets better and all of this stuff. And yet what we're going to find as Paul prays is that he doesn't focus on the Ephesian circumstances. 
He doesn't focus on his own circumstances. And what we're going to find is there's this pattern in Ephesians and even in, in, in Colossians and elsewhere where Paul has this repeated go-to phrase. You know some go-to phrases that maybe you fall into praying, like some of us say just all the time. God, just, just do this, just, just, just this. Some of us repeat Father all the time over and over and over again. Some of us pray for like, you know, Tim Hawkins has this bit where like we, we pray for like hedges of protection around people. And what does that even mean? You know, we had these go-to phrases, but a go-to phrase, for Paul as he's praying for others, as he's praying for the churches that he's poured his life into, a go-to phrase for him is that they would know God deeply. And if you're going to have a go-to prayer, this is a good one. All right. So Paul's letter uh, from prison opens with praise and prayer. and, 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 And in verse 15, he says, for this reason, Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering your faith toward God and your love toward each other. And so there there in verse 15, when he says, for this reason, he's reflecting on everything he just had said. And what he's just said is, he said this incredible thing in verse 10 that, that, that God has summed up all of creation, all of the universe in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's, he said that there's this amazing work of the Spirit that's going on in the Ephesians. And, and he's talked about this glorious inheritance that we have from knowing Jesus. And he says, because of all of that that I've just said, and because I've, I see your faith and your love, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So we get a couple things about how to pray for other people here. Right off the bat, he says, I don't cease to do it. And so one way we pray for others is we pray with consistency. We pray with, if you're praying for someone, pray with consistency. Uh, When we pray for somebody, um, you know, this this often isn't, especially if we're praying that somebody will come to know God. This isn't like a, a one-time, God help them, and then we go about our business. There's a consistency, there's an urgency, there's a devotion, there's a dedication here. And he says, I pray for God, he said, I pray for you with thanksgiving. I do not cease to give thanks for you. He said, and then he, he gives a specific couple of ways that he gives thanks for them. I, I see your love for, for, for each other, and I see your faith and your fidelity to God. And, and when you pray for other people, It's a really awesome and helpful practice to find ways to affirm this person in the presence of God. And we have a hard time affirming each other, don't we? I mean, we've talked about this a lot. We have a hard time affirming each other. But but what's going to help you affirm someone to their face is if you'll practice affirming this person to God. And sometimes we have to dig deep. It's like you teachers know. You teachers know that sometimes there's a kid that you just really have a hard time finding something to affirm about, right? And you say, you know, Johnny, I love the way you are running around the room. Um, you must have a lot of energy, you know? And, 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 and sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes it's a stretch. Sometimes it's a leap. But one way that we, can, uh, that we can pray for people well is to find some way to affirm this person before God. Well, you don't know what this person's done to me. Well... I don't know. When we're, we're praying for our spouse, we're praying for our child, we're praying for our boss, we're praying for our neighbor. What can you affirm about this? How can you be grateful that this person exists? What characteristics, what attributes of God do you see in this person? And praying and thanksgiving for this person is going to do a lot to empower you to eventually affirm this person to their face. And then Paul says this. Uh, he says uh, in, in verse uh, 17, that the God of 
Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He says that I pray that the Lord would give you the spirit. Now, something really interesting here is back in Ephesians, uh, excuse me, back in Acts 19, we see when Paul went to Ephesus first, and, and, and he asked them if they, if they know the Holy Spirit, they say, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, so our, our charismatic friends say that, that these were the Baptists of, of the book of Acts, they didn't know there was a Holy Spirit, and so they get baptized, there's this amazing Holy Spirit pouring out on them, and there's this fruit of the Spirit in their lives, empowerment of the Spirit, and then what happens in Acts 19 is the idol makers start to get really upset because they think, they say, we're going to lose all of our business because the kingship of Jesus doesn't coexist with idolatry. The, the, the kingship of Jesus, the good news that Jesus is Lord, starts to displace the idolatry from people's hearts and lives, and the idolaters get together and they, and they have a riot and all these things, and you see just this incredible move of God's Spirit. And so Paul knows these Ephesian believers have the Spirit, but he still prays for the Spirit for them. And one of the ways we pray for other people faithfully is we pray for the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Yes. If you, if you don't ever, if you forget how to pray for me or you say, I don't know how to pray for this guy, pray for the ongoing work of the Spirit in my life. If you don't know how to pray for your spouse or your boss or your child, pray for the ongoing work of the Spirit of God in our lives because we need the ongoing sustaining and restoring and refreshing work of God's Spirit in our lives. And he says, and I pray that you'd have the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of God. One translation says, the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know God. The punchline of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is I want you to know God deeply. There's a sense here that this is an intimate knowledge of God, a deep knowledge of God. And, and we know God through creation. We know God through... Um, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Uh, preached a great sermon that we know God through creation. We can know God through history, but we know God supremely through the person of Jesus Christ. When I asked Ethan recently, we sat down at the table, and I said, Ethan, my son, I said, what, it, what's the thing that makes Ethan, Ethan? What is it about you that makes you, you? He thought about it, and he said, probably that I know a lot about Jesus, you know? That sounds like a really, he, you might ask him something today, and his answer will have something to do with the Avengers. I, I don't know what he's going to say. But I thought, you know, that's what Paul's praying for, for us. That the thing that makes you, you, the thing that sets you apart, the thing that, 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 that you're known by is that you are a person who knows God. And the interesting thing here is there's all kinds of things Paul could have prayed. Paul could have prayed for results. He could have prayed, I'm praying that the church is really going to do something. And, and, and I'm praying for this church to, to have awesome programming. And I'm praying for this church to, to make a splash in Ephesus. But it did. The church did make a splash in Ephesus. The, the church did make an impact in Ephesus. The church did uh, totally transform the landscape of Ephesus. But it did that because these are people who know God. And so often we focus on the side effect rather than the source. The thing is, Paul's not just praying they'll do great things for God. He's praying that they'll know God. And I think that Paul believes that if they know God, they're going to do great things for God. It's kind of like Jesus in John 15, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. 
we're only going to pray this for other people. We're only going to pray, God, I just, I just pray for Kristen that she would know God. God, I just lift up Sonda that she would just know you more. Like, we're only going to pray that for people if we truly believe that that is the most vital and valuable prayer we can pray. We're only going to pray this if we truly believe that the most vitally important thing in life is to know God. When somebody's in a tough situation, we can pray, God, I pray that as, as Dylan's walking through this situation, would you just help him know God through this? Will you help him know you through this? Now, don't be a, a jerk about this. Like, uh, John Acuff is a funny Christian author, and, and, uh, and he writes about shot blocking in, 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 in prayer meetings. That's like where, where Dylan prays, you know, God, would you just please give me this job? And then, you know, and then George comes along next and says, God, would you just help Dylan to be more patient? You know what I mean? And it's like, well, you just, you just blocked his shot, man. Don't be, a, don't be When somebody's going through a hard time, we don't go and say, well, you know, God's just, using, God's just doing this so you'll know him better. I mean, that's a good way to get slapped. I mean, it's true, but you're applying truth in an unhelpful way. But we can pray, God, as Nicole's going through this, as, Sonna's going, as Matt's going through this, God, would you just use this circumstance? For, so he would know you, so that she would know you more. J.I. Packer says, once you become aware that the main business that you're here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place. Most of the things we worry about, most of the things we're anxious about, they're still real, but they begin to fall into place as we think in terms of the main reason I'm here is to know God. Paul knows this. This is why this is such an emphasis for him in prayer. So, so knowing God, there's this idea of intimate, personal knowledge. You ever have your kids fill out the Father's Day, fill in the blank things, or the Mother's Day, fill in the blank things, and it's like, what, are, what, what color are your dad's eyes? Purple? No. You know, what's your dad's favorite food? Grapefruit? No, that's not right. You know? It's like, what does mommy like to do? Drink wine all day? Oh, no, I hope the teacher didn't see that. You know. Sometimes they're a little too truthful. Sometimes they totally miss the mark, and sometimes they get your heart right, you know? There's a lot if we, about knowing God. There's a lot we don't know. But because of the revelation of God's word and the ultimate revelation of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, you can know your Father's heart. You can know it. You can know it. And if you ask me, Matt, tell me about Sonda. I said, okay, well, her social security number is blah, 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 and she weighs this, and she's five feet, six inches tall, and she, and she you know, um, her birth date is this, and you would think, wow, what a weird relationship. And like knowing those facts about Sonda is part of knowing her. I mean, that, that way I know I'm married to the right Sonda, right? And some of us... You're having, when you're having this experience, oh, God's just showing me this and that, but you haven't built your life on the foundational revelation of who God is, and maybe you're not worshiping and walking with the right God, you know? So knowing the facts and these propositions is important, but there's so much more to knowing somebody. This knowing Sonda means I know what she loves, and I know her heart, and I, and I know what brings her pain. And there's this idea that Paul's praying, I want you to know God that way. I want you to know God in such a way that God is real to you. Is God real to you? 
This is a, a way that we pray for other people. God, would you just be real to Jenny? Would you just be real to Travis? Would you just make yourself so real? And if we know God, there's evidence of God. We see the character of Christ being formed in us. And then Paul prays this. He, he, he prays, um, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. He prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. Most of our problems can be traced to spiritual blindness. And Paul prays that our eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that the light would flip on. E.Y. Mullins, please tell Dr. Allen uh, that somebody quoted E.Y. Mullins. Okay, 100 years ago, Eli Mullins said, the eyes of your heart carries with it the idea of the spiritual perception of truth. And that, that, that to, to be enlightened in this way means moral cleansing and an obedient will as well as an intellectual perception. To open the eyes of our heart means that I, I come to see who God is and I'm cleansed. And I see where before I was blind. And we live in a time where it seems like we've got shrunken heads and shrunken hearts and our willingness to think and our willingness to feel has become so reduced. And sometimes, often, you know, what... The prayer that you need to pray for other people is, and for ourselves we need to pray this, is God, would you illuminate? Would you open our eyes? Will you heal my spiritual blindness? And he gives three things that, we, that he wants us to know. And he uses a different word for know here. And Dr. Grambling, I'm sure, knows why. Paul uses two different words for know. Uh, I probably should know why, but it's been a long time since I was in Greek class. But I know the, the first word for know was epinosko, and this one is, the second one is ida. And maybe he uses these two different words for know because Paul wants us to, to know God on this intimate level on the one hand, but he also wants there to be some foundational truths that we hold on to. You're shaking your head, yes, I, I'm thankful for that. Um, and there, he wants us to be, there's these foundational truths that we build our lives on, whether we feel it or not. And he's going to list us three of those truths we can build our lives on. You know, Addie, I took, uh, I took Alma to the doctor a few years ago, and, and uh, she was about four at the time, and we're standing at the doctor's office, uh, you know, counter, and, and, the do and, and the lady at the counter said, what's her birthday? Because, you know, you got to know that to check them in. And I said, um, I mean, I got a lot of kids before you judge me too much. And I was just, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't recall it. And that lady looked at me kind of like some of y'all are looking at me right now. Like, you know, and, and I looked down at Alma and I said, like, hey, what's your birthday? And she just goes. <laughs> and so I called Sonda and asked what's Alma's birthday. And, and I wish I hadn't done that, but I did. And. <laughs> And, and kind of like me forgetting Alma's birthday, like, there are some core foundational truths of your relationship with God that we easily forget. We easily suffer from spiritual amnesia. There are these core realities that as we just go through the muck of life, it's so easy for you to forget. As we're walking through hard circumstances, it's so easy to forget what's true. And Paul prays 
that we would know these three truths on which our lives depend, but which we so easily forget. And he, the first one is, is there in verse 18, that you would know the hope to which he called you. If you want to really pray for somebody, I pray that they know God deeply and pray specifically that they would build their life on this hope to which they've been called. And I love that phrase, to hope, the hope to which he has called you, because that phrase points forward and it points backward. It points to the past and it points to the future. Hope points to the future, but calling reminds us of our past. Calling reminds you of that moment that Jesus first called your name. It's not talking about, you know, the calling to do something for God necessarily. It's the calling to abandon your net and follow Jesus. I, uh, a few months ago, ran into Dr. Gramling at a conference, and, and uh, I knew this man when I first, just, just shortly after I had answered the call to follow Jesus in salvation, and, and uh, when I first started going to Howard Payne, I was still incarcerated, and they would take me in my prison clothes, and they would chain me up in the back of a van, they would take me to Howard Payne, and they would turn me loose, unchain me, and then three hours later come and pick me up and take me back to the facility. And, and um, Dr. Gramling was my advisor, one of the first faces at Howard Payne, and he was so kind to me. And uh, following Jesus then was not a job, and it wasn't the weight that I so often feel today. And when I saw Dr. Gramling uh, a few months ago at a conference, he just said, how are you doing? And, and, and I just began to cry uncontrollably, embarrassingly awkwardly in that moment I was reminded of my call I was reminded of the hope of my call and guys it's so easy to get caught up in the things we do for God or to be honest just the things we do for ourselves so easy to forget that there was a moment that Jesus called your name. And you said, yeah, that sounds amazing. He called you out of darkness into light. If that moment hasn't come, before we get out of here, we want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Paul says, we want you to know the hope of that calling. Remember what he called you to and remember what's ahead. There's this glorious future, and he goes on to say, I want you to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He says, I want you to think about this good future in store for you. And, and in some ways, this inheritance idea is talking about, think about the goodness that's coming to you because Christ died, and you receive this inheritance. Because he died, you receive this incredible inheritance of eternity. Not an eternity necessarily far away, you know, not just being beamed up to the mothership, but the, but the scripture tells the story that there's going to be this new creation, this new heaven, a new earth, and this reunited universe, and all made new and all set right. And, and we're, and, and we're going to inherit the universe, but most importantly, we inherit God himself. And we have, and we will. But part of it is not just talking about our inheriting God, but it says His inheritance. And there's a sense here in which not only is God your inheritance, but you're His. Jesus died, and in dying, 
There was only one thing in this universe that Jesus did not own, and that was your heart. It was you. And he died to inherit you and to make a people out of you and me when we were not a people and to bring those who are far away near. That's your inheritance. And then finally says, I want you to know the power. Verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He says, I want you to know the power of God. Christians, we, 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 for hundreds of years, and including today, we have a bizarre infatuation with human power, and we, we love greatness to the degree that often we forget about goodness. Paul's not talking about human power and control and authority and influence and status. He says, I want you to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the cross of Jesus is where God demonstrated his great love for us. And the resurrection of Jesus is where God demonstrated his great power. And Paul says, I want you to build your life. I want you to have as the foundation of your life the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you want to pray for somebody, pray that they would know the hope of their calling. Pray that they would know the inheritance they have in God and that they are to God and God is to them. Pray that they would know the power of the resurrection, the power to be transformed, the power to be made new, the power to be set free. So what does this look like in practice? If we join Paul in, in believing that the most important the most important thing for anybody is to know God. If that's our true purpose, that's going to affect the way you parent. Suddenly, more important than good grades and awesome athletic performance, you're going to pray that you would be an instrument in helping this little person come to know God deeply. When it comes to being a spouse, a husband, a wife, what's your role in praying for your spouse that they would know God? Friendship. Living on mission. Being an employee. When you think about your one, like we've talked about praying for that one person, who's your one? And Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 1 a great way to pray for that person that maybe is far from God. You know, most of us don't need some new truth about Jesus. Most of us don't need to come here and, and say, oh, I, I wonder what saucy new truth Matt's going to serve up today that's going to change my life. We don't need a new truth. We need the Spirit of God to breathe life into the truth we already know. And that's what Paul is praying here. And that's what you can pray for yourself. And that's what you can pray for others. The Spirit, open our eyes, open our blind eyes, cure our spiritual blindness, cure our spiritual amnesia, wake us up. And I want to close with the words of J.I. Packer. And he says, what, what matters, he wrote this at the end of his book, Knowing God, Knowing God, he said, that what matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God but the larger fact that underlines it, that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. 
There's tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me, the way I'm so often disillusioned about myself. God knew the worst about you. Jesus knew the worst about you, and in knowing the worst about you and me, he decided anyway, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He determined to know you and love you, knowing the worst about you, and so nothing can thwart that. You can know God because God knows 